Hey everybody. Big group, group big group hug. <laughs> big group, hello. This is great. Yeah, so I'm Andrew Holacek. Some of you um, may know me. I I <laughs> I just wanted to say a few introductory comments and to welcome welcome you all and to welcome our honored guests here. You know, we started this this book group thing um, back in September. We finished, you know, we had what 30 weeks on, on, on the Dreams of Light book. And then the inspiration behind this particular um, book was we just did the big wave hello um, about a month ago. And, and I noticed a couple wonderful young smiling faces, children waving. And I said, oh my God, there's kids listening to this. This is fantastic. And so it, it hit me almost immediately at that point that, that um, I wanted to introduce you to this most amazing book. Um, I'm really, I can't tell you how beautiful this is. It's one of these marvelous books um, that is an adult book, really uh, kind of encrypted as a children's book. There's so much wisdom in this. And so my dear, dear friend, um, Joseph Parent, uh, we sent a bio um, about who this remarkable individual is, uh, agreed when I um, proposed this idea to him. And to make it even better, his wonderful sister, Nancy, <clears throat> who co-authored this with him, is also on board. So I'm super excited about this. Um, so I simply wanted to welcome you all to this particular aspect of the book club. And as with the first one, we're pretty free-flowing. It's emergent design, um, four, five, six weeks. We don't know. You know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we don't want to rush it. It's a, it's a short book, but it is just rich with layers of subtlety and nuance and wealth um, designed for the beginner in each one of us, the child within each one of us, and also for children who actually will have the opportunity to listen to that. So without much ado, uh, further ado, I should say, welcome everybody. Um, welcome my dear friends, Joseph and Nancy. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy lives to do this with us. I can speak on behalf of our community that we're super honored and psyched to have you with us. And, and so let's, let's take it away. A walk in the wood, meditations on mindfulness with a bear named who, with Joseph and Nancy too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew, that, that was great. And it's nice to see lots of familiar faces from uh, the uh, book study group and the meditation classes that we've been doing. Uh, we are we are missing one person, and that is my wife Megan, who was the designer. She works for Disney, and she designed this beautiful. I wish you could feel the cover. It's uh, embossed with lots of texture, and then you'll see a lot of the interiors uh, that she designed with just a touch of red, and um, and a beautiful layout. Chose all the fonts and um, and pages. So if you You've got your, I see people holding copies, you'll, you'll see it. She did the design. Uh, an illustrator from Disney did the drawings. And uh, I wanted to uh, introduce my dear sister who wrote books for Disney for 20 years right now. And now yeah. is a freelance writer. Uh, and it was uh, because of her connection with Disney and one of the editors that this book came about. So why don't you share the story with everybody? Okay. My sister Nancy. 
Okay, thank you. So um, back in July, 2017, NPR did a piece on Morning Edition on the show uh, called Forest Bathing, a retreat to nature can boost immunity and mood. And this was uh, following up a trend that was happening in Japan called forest bathing. And my old boss, Patricia Van Node, who's an editorial director for Disney Publishing, uh, I did a lot of work for her. I worked with her and then I freelanced for her. I currently freelance for her. And she would call me from time to time and bounce ideas off of me and we would brainstorm together. Sometimes I'd write them, sometimes not, whatever. Anyway, she called me and she goes, I have a great idea for a book. And I said, okay, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? She said, I think uh, Disney should do a book on forest bathing with Winnie the Pooh, because there he is walking around the hundred acre wood and doing a lot of forest bathing, or at least he should be. Anyway, I said, now that sounds great. And she, the next step was for her to take it to her acquisitions meeting. And two weeks later, I get another call from Pat and she goes, well, the book's been acquired and we're doing it. And then she said, and I know exactly who should write this book. And I said, okay, I give, who should write the book? And she said, you should write it and you should write it with your brother, who I know is a meditation and mindfulness instructor. Uh, you two need to be the authors of this book. And we agreed to do it and we're very excited about it. And then one week after that, I get another call from Pat and she said, okay, we've selected the designer for the book and it is your brother's wife, Megan, who is a senior <laughs> designer for Disney Publishing and she's gonna design it. And so it became a total and complete family affair and really and truly a labor of love for all of us. So um, my sister will tell you, she was the project manager and I was the, um, uh, maybe we could do a little of this. Maybe we should change a little of that. And she would say, chapter four, lockdown. We got to lock this down. Because we, we had a very short deadline. What about two months, I think we had to do the, the whole thing. Um, then uh, we had to decide on the illustrations. Uh, we got a sample. And, and what I did in preparation, Nan Nancy, oh, by the way, I was asked to show my tie. This is a classic Winnie the Pooh tie right here. In fact, it's so classic, it says classic Pooh. So, um, so uh, the, what I did was I read all of the A.A. Uh, Milne books because we were not allowed to use any of the original books. Uh, in fact, when, uh, what, I, what I asked for for the illustrations was make them as old fashioned, as close to the original Ernest Shepherd drawings as you can. And um, I'm gonna show you, show you some of those. Uh, I'll give you an example here, hang on a second. I'm gonna do a little, little screen share here. Um, the, and, she, and, uh, and she sent, See here's some of the books. Here's a here's one that really looks like the Winnie the Pooh, right? So there's the old style, old style drawings um, uh, of Winnie the Pooh, that kind of thing. Well, <laughs> as it as it turned out, 
She did the drawings and they were fabulous. We thought they were great. The Disney lawyers said they look too much like the original books. We don't have the rights to the original drawings. So she went back and did them again. And then they came and looked like the current cartoons. And I said, no, that's not good. Nancy and I said, no, no, that does not fit with the book. And she went back for a third time and came up with what we have in the book now, which we love and they're just wonderful drawings. And you'll be seeing those as we, as we go. Um, so, um, so we did that. Uh, Nancy and I worked on the stories and, and after each story is a section in, um, that Megan designed to be in, in gray boxes like this, which is adult language instruction in uh, different kinds of mindfulness meditations. So I, I wrote those, and then we worked on the poems together. Sometimes she came up with a poem, sometimes I did, and, and uh, Megan will tell you one night in the middle of the night, I woke up, turned the light on and said, I, I got the rabbit poem, I got it. And had to write it all down. So it, it really came together that, that way. Right, Nan? Anything, yes, you want, anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, I think you've covered it. So uh, the other thing I wanted to, I did want uh, to share with you some things that we found when we went, when we went through. One of the things that I found was uh, that my teacher, Chigam Trungpa Rinpoche, the Tibetan Buddhist teacher, one of his favorite poems was an A.A. Milne poem about two, uh, a kid who couldn't go outside. I guess it was his kid, Christopher Robin, couldn't go outside. It was raining out. And he sat by the window wishing he'd go out and then saw two drop raindrops coming down the window pane. And he, he created a race between, he gave them each names and created a race between them. And uh, he just that, thought that was a wonderful poem. So we adapted that and you'll get to the story where uh, Pooh and, and Rue are watching leaves fall from the tree and they pick two and they're, they're racing down. So. So we did a lot of adaptation. I did my best at, as I read all the Milne stories to channel that kind of uh, uh, state of mind. A.A. Uh, a. Milne wrote the originals in the 1920s as a way to, and he, they were stories that he told his son, Christopher Robin, um, and they were, um, the idea of publishing them was to cheer the country up and people, and they weren't just for kids, but you know, adults were reading them. And, and it was to, after a terrible, terrible World War I and cheered them up. So um, I wanted to share a little bit of history that uh, Nan gave me this book that was written, Finding Winnie, and it has some original drawings. Now, Winnie the Pooh, uh, came from a real bear named Winnie that was in the London Zoo. That Christopher, that A. A. Milne took his son Christopher Robin to visit. And it was a very tame bear because it had been bought by a soldier from Winnipeg uh, at a train station on the, that so a guy had it on a leash on the way to go across to England and then to France to fight in World War I. And so 
we'll start with, hang on a second, here we go. So the very first, this is his diary from uh, Harry, the soldier that bought the dog. And you, uh, it's, it says it printed on the bottom. It's hard to read, but on the very bottom line of the 24th of August, it says bought bear $20. <laughs> Isn't that cute? So, um, so that's when he bought the bear. And I, I, all I could think of was August 1914, the guns of August it was the start of World War I. Then this is Winnie and Harry. And he named the bear Winnie short for, he named the bear Winnipeg. So Winnie is short for Winnipeg because that's where he was from. And it was always, so he would have a little bit of home always with him. And then a statue in 1992 was made of Harry and Winnie. And there's the picture that the statue was made from. Oh, it's so cute. And then this is Christopher Robin with Winnie, the grown as a grown-up black bear. And this was in 1925 in the zoo, and they became friends. So it's so um, it was so cool to see the history. Now, then. The original animals. So to all of the Winnie the Pooh stories with Winnie the Pooh and Tigger and, and friends all come from these original animals that were Christopher Robin's stuffed animals. There's the teddy bear. There's Tigger. That's Piglet. Very tiny. So he was always scared because Tigger was going to knock him over. There's Kanga. And there's Eeyore. So um, they, uh, they now live in this display, the 100-acre wood there, in uh, the New York Public Library. And this is our version. These are the, the latest Disney stuffed animals that we collected for when Nancy and I did our readings. And there's Winnie, there's, there's Rue, Kanga's little, little uh, boy. Piglet, Tigger, and Eeyore, of course. So that was our reading. And now, a, uh, there's a, a book of poems called When We Were Young. And in it, we find the original teddy bear that became Winnie the Pooh. And there's the original teddy bear. A bear, however hard he tries, grows tubby without exercise. And if we have time at the end of the uh, session, I'll, I'll read the poem. But you can see how there, how all these drawings, Winnie the Pooh, develop. Nan, do you remember where the Pooh part came from? Uh, there was a story about an expression used that when uh, Christopher Robin would get frustrated, he would say, oh, Pooh, Pooh. Yes. And, that's, and that's where it came from. That's what I that's what I remembered. So yeah. so he'd be talking to his teddy bear, and he would be talking to his teddy bear, and he'd go, "Oh, poo," and then that became the teddy bear's second nickname. So that was Winnie the Pooh. Well, there's our history lesson for today. So I thought uh, let's just get into it, and what we'll do is do some reading, 
Uh, Nancy and I are going to take turns being narrator and, and voicing the animals. And the first few chapters is just Winnie the Pooh alone, but I wanted to, to lead in with this introduction. And this gives a little bit of the background. Um, as Andrew does, I might stop and make a verbal footnote here and there, but um, here we go. A Walk in the Wood, Meditations on Mindfulness for the Bear Named Pooh. Introduction. Winnie the Pooh and his friends live in an enchanted world of natural beauty, the Hundred Acre Wood. Pooh is the perfect guide to take you on a gentle, a gently mindful journey. A simple walk in the wood can open the door to a life-changing experience, a discovery of profound peace of mind through the deeply gratifying richness of sense perceptions. Mindfulness is a state of full awareness, moment by moment, present to all one's experiences without judgment or bias. Such awareness encompasses external perceptions as well as internal feelings, emotions, and thoughts. Uh, and as, as you know, when we've done our meditation classes, we do a, a close placement mindfulness of internal sensation and the breathing, but then we do open awareness and um, environmental mindfulness. And that's really what we connect with so much, both of those uh, in this book. Practicing mindfulness begins with setting the intention to be more fully in the here and now. After settling into your physical presence, you focus on a sense experience like the feeling of your breath going in and out. The main work of the practice is bringing your attention back to its focus as soon as you recognize that you've drifted off in thoughts. The goals are to be able to pay attention more completely to what you're doing, to maintain that for longer periods of time, to notice more quickly when your mind wanders, and to bring yourself back again and again. The benefits of mindfulness are well recognized, peace of mind, calmness and stress reduction, the opportunity to work through and transform painful thoughts, memories and worries, as well as acceptance of the changes and challenges that life brings. And don't we have enough of those? There's also a growing acknowledgement of the benefits of deeply experiencing nature, the calming quality of sounds like running water and rustling leaves, the soothing quality of smells like lavender and chamomile, and the emotional comfort of beautiful natural vistas are well documented. Access to the healing qualities of mindfulness in nature is very timely for our stressful, fast-paced modern world. One response to this has been the emergence of a program that began in Japan in the early 1990s. It is called Shinrin-yoku, which roughly translates as forest bathing. I, I always thought that was not such a good translation. People pictured a pond in the middle of the forest and you go take a bath in there. But, but the literal translation would be immersing yourself in the atmosphere of the forest. So it is uh, mindfulness as well as aromatherapy going into the pine and eucalyptus forests. It, as I wrote, it, as Nancy and I wrote, but it doesn't involve dipping yourself in water. Rather, you immerse yourself in sense awareness of the natural environment, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, and sensations. Like a warm, soothing bath, you experience the healing qualities of communing with nature. And mindfulness of sense perceptions is the ideal vehicle to truly immerse yourself in that experience. When the mind is absorbed in mindfulness and bathed in the sense perceptions of nature, you are less focused on your physical and emotional pain, anxiety, and stress. 
feeling better creates a positive momentum toward true well-being. The stories in this book follow Pooh through the course of one day. It begins with waking up, then a session of morning exercises, mindfulness practice, and contemplations on kindness. He takes a walk in the wood, delighting in the magic of natural beauty with a childlike spontaneity. He has adventures with friends he meets along the way, encouraging them to be confident, considerate, fearless, cheerful, and relaxed. Whose experiences inspire deep insights into life, as well as the appreciation he feels for his friends and nature. Upon returning home, he reflects on the day and sets his aspirations for the future. Along with each story is a description of the perspectives and practices that you can use to learn about mindfulness, deepen your experience of it, and guide you in immersing yourself in the magic of nature. As Pooh discovered, mindfully exploring nature and engaging with friends is an ideal path for working with your own habits, attitudes, and emotions while cultivating more meaningful relationships with others. Chapter one. Chapter one, mindful and kind. How you start your morning sets the tone and rhythm for the rest of the day. So it's helpful to develop a regular physical and mental routine. Wake up your body with some simple movements. Wake up your sense perceptions by tuning into your environment. Wake up your mind by setting your intentions for the day to be as mindful and kind as you can be for yourself and others. It was morning, the way most days begin. Winnie the Pooh woke up, which is how he liked to start each morning. He stretched out his arms and legs, a sigh that was mostly a yawn, or was it a yawn that was mostly a sigh, started deep inside, wound its way up through his nose and found its way out his mouth with an ah and an um. He sat up, stretched a little more and rubbed the sleep from his eyes. Pooh gave himself a little shake all over in case any of him hadn't woken up yet, then sat up again, nice and straight. He took in a big breath of fresh air, held it for a moment and blew it all the way out. Pooh did so three times every morning to clear the stale air from his body and the sticky cobwebs from his mind. Next, Pooh opened his eyes very wide to take in all that he could see, colors, shapes, and different shades of light and dark. There were beams of yellow sunlight dancing on the wall, his brown chair in the corner, and a picture of a very pink piglet on the table. Pooh opened his ears to take in all the sounds he could hear, near and far, loud and soft, high and low. There was the tick-tock tick of his poo-poo clock on the wall. The birds chirping sounds outside his window and the gentle whistling of the wind in the trees. Next, he recited his morning rhyme. Just two things to do to truly be poo. The first thing was to be in the here and now as much as he possibly could without a whole lot of thinking about it. This was easy enough for a bear of very little brain. The second thing was to be as kind as he possibly could toward everyone, 
including himself. This was easy enough for a bear of very big heart. It's not hard to be me. Just be here and now and be kind, thought Pooh. So that's our first story, Waking Up. Now, I want to read the uh, additional material, the instructions for practice. And the idea here is for us to do this as adults. And then if you have children in your life, um, then to be able to share this with them at whatever age is appropriate. So that's why we wrote it this way. This is from Peace is Every Step by Thich Nhat Hanh. Every morning when we wake up, we have 24 brand new hours to live. What a precious gift. We have the capacity to live in a way that these 24 hours will bring peace, joy, and happiness to ourselves and others. Wake up your body. To start your morning routine, sit upright in bed or on the edge of the of the bed with your feet on the floor. Take a full breath in through your nose, hold it for a moment, then exhale through both the nose and mouth until your breath is all the way out. You can gently pull in your belly to help push your breath all the way out. Do that three times. If you'd like, imagine that with each exhalation, you're releasing a negative feeling or emotion, such as anger, greed, envy, pride, or stubbornness. Now, some of you will recognize this uh, have to have taken the more advanced class as the cleansing breaths, the clearing breaths. Um, since, we, since we wrote this, there's actually this book came out called Breath by James Nestor. And one of the things he points out is that, that one of the issues uh, that we have with breathing is not so much that we don't take enough fresh air in, but we don't expel, ex, expel enough of the stale air. There's always some residual left in our lungs. So when we breathe out this, this exhalation, if we can just push it out and just further, 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 almost till you don't want to cause pain, you have to find your edge, but almost till it's like, oh, then slowly take a full breath in, you'll be amazed at how much more of breath you can take in when you clear all that air out. So that's very, very helpful to do. The reason that I put this in as wake up and swing your feet over, over the edge of the bed, for beginners, um, and, and even, <laughs> even for me, after you get up and you start doing stuff, it's hard to stop and go sit down and do your your breathing and your, your meditation. So before I get out of bed, um, swing the feet over to the side and do your morning practice that way. It, you can be a little more sure that you're gonna get it done and not get caught up in the swirl of things that are going on. So that's wake up to your body. Wake up to your environment. Open your eyes wide to your full field of vision, side to side and up and down. So you soften your face muscles, soften your gaze, open up to your full field of vision. Notice all the colors, shapes, and shades of light and dark you can see. Without judgment, 
preference or commentary. One of the things we discover when we work with our sense perceptions, if you, if you work with vision, the only things you can actually see are colors, shapes, and shades of light and dark. You know, somebody can hold something in front of you and, you know, and, and it looks heavy, but you say, can you see how heavy this is? You can't see how heavy something is. You can't see how warm or cold something is. You can only see colors, shapes, and shades of light and dark. Visual perceptions. In the same way, tune in to your hearing, opening your awareness to sounds from all directions, near and far. Notice all the loud or soft, high or low, and sharp or dull sounds you may hear. Experience what you're feeling, such as the firmness of the mattress you're sitting on, the soft carpet or hard wood of the floor under your feet, the texture of the sheet or blanket under your hands. So these are the stages in the sense perception, awareness of the environment and sense perceptions. We've done this in the meditation class, going through all the sense perceptions. And what we've talked about is that our sense perceptions, our perceiving mind is like a monkey in a room with six windows. It, it jumps from window to window, but it can only look out one window at a time. So that sense perception is in the foreground and all the others go to the background. So listening, seeing, smelling, tasting, um, um, feeling. Uh, one thing, Nancy and I also wrote a diet book, and one thing that we put in there was to set your fork and knife down after you've taken a bite of food, because if you're working with them, your mind is on the feeling and not on the tasting. It is amazing how much more you taste when you don't do anything else but taste. Um, thoughts are also included in this, in the sense that you perceive your thoughts. So a thought popping up in your mind, if you can observe it without getting taken away by it, it's like a, your mental sense perception. Then the third part is set your intentions for the day. First, establish the intention to be as mindful of your body as you can, to notice how you move, how you feel and what you experience through your senses, and to be kind in your actions. Second, establish the intention to be as mindful of your speech as you can, to notice the words you use and the tone and volume with which you express them, and to maintain positive self-talk and helpful communication with others. Intend to refrain from complaints about or put-downs of others and yourself, and to be kind in your speech. Third, establish the intention to be as mindful of your thoughts and state of mind as you can, to notice your experience as it unfolds without analysis or commentary, and to come back to what's happening in the here and now when you wander into daydreams of past and future. Intend to be kind in your thoughts and attitudes. Overall, as best you can, be aware of how much you are keeping to or straying from these three intentions throughout the day. The more mindful and kind you are, the better your day will be. So that's the end of the first chapter. And I thought we could just take a moment 
if people have any questions, you can put them in the chat. Or if you'd like, you can raise your hand and Andy will unmute you and, and let you in. Anything about the book or that first chapter and the practice that we just talked about? And this is what I call waiting meditation. We wait, let things percolate. Well, maybe people are eager to hear more about from the book. So I guess we should continue on. So anytime you want, while we're going, you can put a question in the chat box. Oh, we got one before we started. Uh, what has your experience been with children? Um, I personally don't have them, but I coach uh, golfers and work a lot with young young golfers, <clears throat> um, sometimes as young as seven or eight years old. And then I have lots of friends with children and then I have nieces and nephews. And uh, Nance, one of those is Nancy's son, Howard. So Nan, why don't you talk about your experience with children as a children's book writer? Uh, well, uh, since I've worked for Disney for 20, 21 years, um, that has been my exposure to, to children and what the kinds of things that children love, um, especially in the Disney universe. Um, and my own son, who um, is now 28 years old, but was a, was a very young child once upon a time. Uh, anyway, he, he and actually he and my nieces and nephews have uh, always inspired me. I have, pic I have pictures of them. I have a wonderful picture of them dressed as superheroes that I used to bring to brainstorming sessions with me. Um, so. Great, thank you. And Virginia asks, would you say this morning practice is a Buddhist practice or more a mindfulness practice? Uh, this is, well, you see, um, I don't know if you know about Venn diagrams, but there, you know, there were these overlapping links well, um, mindfulness really originated, the mindfulness practice as most of us know it, really originated in the, um, in the Buddhist tradition uh, 2,500 years ago. And I think Andrew has talked about uh, that mindfulness itself of presence and being present uh, probably predates that, but it was codified in the Buddhist tradition in the four, what are called the four foundations of mindfulness. So that's the first mention of it in, in, that, in that context um, as, as a particular practice. But this mindfulness practice that's introduced in here is uh, uh, free of any particular cultural or, um, or religious connotations in, in any way. This is... Um, basically mindfulness practice that you do of, for your body, your environment, and then setting intentions. I'm sure that I learned them through my 
50 years in Buddhist tradition, um, but I wouldn't call them specifically Buddhist practices. So, hope that's helpful. Now we have chapter two called Just Doing. We've got to get our, get it, and I will get the picture up on Trent. Enter into your morning household activities slowly and mindfully, being aware of how you move and what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting. Notice as much as you can with as little judgment, preference, or commentary as possible. Recognize when your thoughts take you away into daydreams of past or future. And without judging or criticizing yourself, simply return to what you were doing. I'll give you a picture here. Pooh climbed out of bed, which always helped him get his day going. He practiced being in the here and now every morning by tidying up as mindfully as he could without thinking about anything else. When he made the bed, he just made the bed. When he got dressed, he just got dressed. When he opened the curtains, he just opened them. All of a sudden, some leaves whooshed in through the window. Pooh took out a broom and started to sweep. Now, let's give you a look of Pooh sweeping here. There he is. Although his sweeping began mindfully, his thoughts drifted back to the time that he and Piglet had jumped into the crunchy autumn leaves in Rabbit's garden. The leaves had flown everywhere. Rabbit got a bit cross, so Pooh and Piglet swept the leaves back into a pile. At that moment, Pooh woke up from his daydream. He noticed that he had been sweeping the same spot over and over again. Oh dear, my mind was in the past in Rabbit's garden while my sweeping was here and now. But it's okay, no need to fret. Now my mind is back to here. You see, anytime he noticed he had strayed from being in the present, he simply recited his reminding rhyme. Come back from the future or past to what I was just doing last. That's the way I know how to be poo here and now. And he went back to sweeping. Hearing a little rumble from his tummy, Pooh thought that a smack roll of something would quiet things down. He dipped his paw into some sweet golden honey and licked it all off. Oh, mmm, so yummy. When Pooh ate honey, he did not have to remind himself to just eat. Then Pooh was finished. He looked around and smiled. Everything was tidy and his rumbly tummy was quiet. He felt satisfied knowing that he had done his best job of being here and now and being kind to himself. With a cheery little hum, Pooh opened the door and stepped outside. So that's story number two. I, I have a, a, a funny little um, anecdote with this. When we first wrote, wrote, the, wrote the poem, we wrote, um, come back to what I was just doing. And that's the way I know how to truly be pooing. <laughs> and our, our, our editor pointed out, eh, maybe we didn't want to say it quite, quite that way. And, and this is how you get caught up, right, man? 
This is how you get oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. You've written it and we didn't see it. Now I, I mentioned this I mentioned this um, to Andrew earlier. Nancy's also famous <laughs> for having authored one of the 25, one of the top 25 in children's books, one of the top 25 worst titles uh, of, of children's book. And Nan, what is, what's the title of it? It was Cooking, it was, cooking with Poo. <laughs> It was a cookbook. Yeah, no poo after that either. Just, just cook cooking with poo. Yes. Oh yes. Yes, and um, so we decided to rewrite the poem from <laughs> "That's the way" uh, to what I was just doing. I know how to truly be pooing. We we changed that to be poo here and now. So I thought you'd enjoy that. That's <clears throat> yes. There is that's the side we have. So um, this is, and, and when we wrote this poem, I said, wow, you know, this is the quintessence of mindfulness in four lines. What is the practice of mindfulness? Come back from the future or past to what I was just doing last. The word for mindfulness in the ancient Indian language from 2,500 years ago, the, the, uh, the word for mindfulness is sati, S-A-T-I. Well, it's not S-A-T-I. That's the English spelling of it. It's pronounced sati. Uh, and if you were to translate in a folksy translation, it would be remembering what you were doing. And we, we all have a very vivid experience of an absence of mindfulness. You were headed into the kitchen to do something or get something. You got distracted and involved with something on the way. You finished that. You, you did remember to go back towards the kitchen. And then you walk in and you go, okay, why did I come in here? You didn't remember what you were doing. So this is simply the instruction, the simplest instruction on the practice of mindfulness. Come back from the future or past to what I was just doing last. When your mind wanders, come back to what you were just doing last. As I've talked about before, you don't have to come back to the present because as soon as you wake up from your daydream of the future or past, right? As soon as Pooh woke from his daydream, he noticed he'd been sweeping the same spot over and over again. He, he was already back in the present. You, your present is your default mode. The daydream is an overlay. And once it's gone, you're back. You're already here. What you come back to is what you were just doing last. That's the instruction. And that's the way to be poo here and now. So we, we talked about, we read that poo when he just, when he made the bed, he just made the bed. When he got dressed, he just got dressed. There's a Zen story that connects with that that I, I put in the next bit of material. Two Zen students were telling each other about their teachers. My teacher is a great master who does great things. With three strokes of his sword, he can cut an apple off a tree, slice it into, and slice it into quarters before it hits the ground. 
he can shoot an arrow into the center of a target and then split that arrow with a second one. The other student said, that's pretty good. But my teacher is really amazing, a really amazing master who does really amazing things. What can he do, asked the first. When my teacher walks, he just walks. When he sits, he just sits. When he eats, he just eats. Mindfulness in action. Practice mindfulness in action by moving slowly enough to notice details of your experience, movements, perceptions, and sensations. It's often helpful for beginners to mentally label what's being experienced. For example, when drinking a glass of water, you can think grasping the glass, it feels cool and smooth. Lifting it to my mouth, drinking water, it feels quenching. Setting the glass down, letting it go. When you wash your face, notice how you move your hands. Feel the wetness and warmth of the water, the smell and slipperiness of the soap, the softness of the towel. As you brush your teeth, notice the movement of your hand and wrist. Feel the rub of the bristles on your gums. Taste the flavor and smell the scent of the toothpaste. When you get dressed, notice how you move your arms and legs, the feel of the cloth against your skin, the colors of what you're wearing. As you tidy up the bedroom, notice the weight and texture of the bedding as you lift and place it, how you reach to hang up clothes from the night before, the feel and sound when you pull the curtains open, the sights you see outside your window. When you make and eat your breakfast, notice how you move through the kitchen, the smells and flavors of the food, how you hold your utensil, how you chew and swallow. And as I talked about, one thing at a time, set your, with the, after each bite, set your utensils down, lean back, enjoy the flavor. As you clean the kitchen, feel the water and sponge, smell the soap, listen to the sounds of plates and flatware clattering. Notice how you open and close the refrigerator and cabinet doors. All these are mindfulness in action. Carrying on through the day. When you're done with your morning preparations, establish your intention to continue mindfulness in action as much as you can throughout the day. Picture situations in which you might find yourself getting distracted so you can be especially mindful of your actions. Set aside times in your daily schedule for short breaks to take a few breaths and establish yourself in the here and now. Make a commitment to kindness before engaging with others. Then carry on. This uh, taking short breaks and taking a few breaths reminds me of a story that, um, that Nancy told me after I taught her about breathing. Do you remember the story about the guy who was spinning when he came into your office, Nan? You told me this story that uh, I remember it more than she does. She, the, uh, I had taught her to, to take some, do some breathing when things get out of control. And this guy came into the office and he said, okay, for a meeting, he said, okay, we got to do this and we got to do that. And then we got to do this and then we got to do that. And, and he was spinning and, and Nancy said, oh, and then she started spinning 
And okay, well, when we do this, we have to do that. And then she she did a timeout. Said, oh, time, time. I need to breathe. And she just stopped and started breathing. And she didn't tell him to, but by the third breath, he was breathing along with her. And then she said, okay, let's make an agenda. And had a very productive meeting. So it's something that I've talked about of, uh, I, I call it stop, drop and roll. You know, when, when you're, you're taught when you're kids, when you close catch on fire, to stop, drop, and, and roll on the ground. But when your mind is on fire, stop what you're doing, drop the conversation and the mental conversation, and breathe. Stop, drop, and breathe. You can take a couple of breaths. You don't have to answer a text as soon as it comes in. You get to take all the breaths you want. Even your phone, you can at least take one before you pick up the phone. So we have a couple of questions. Um, I might have missed this in your intro, but what was your inspiration for connecting Winnie the Pooh to mindfulness? Uh, that was what we talked about of the um, Shinrin-yoku or forest bathing. Nancy was explaining that her editor, Pat, right? Nan, you want to say that again, your editor? Sure. She listened to a piece that was done on NPR on the show Morning Edition. They did a piece called Forest Bathing, A Retreat to Nature Can Boost Immunity and Mood. And when she listened to the piece, she thought about the Disney universe of characters and said, uh, we have the perfect character to do a book on forest bathing. And it's Winnie the Pooh in the 100 Acre Wood. Right, because does, does a bear live in the woods? Isn't that expression, <laughs> right? This bear does. <laughs> and, and do everything else in the woods. Um, but but the uh, and and then what you told me, Nan, was um, she she had understood from the piece that it's both aromatherapy of the atmosphere, but it's also a deep experience of mindfulness yes. of of nature. Yes. And and then she asked my sister, said, "Your brother teaches mindfulness, right? Would he be interested in working with you on the book?" And that's how the connection happened with Winnie the Winnie the Pooh and mindfulness. Um, the next question is an age range as far as kids that we'd recommend. I think we said four to 104. Uh, and, and the wonderful thing about this is who doesn't like Winnie the Pooh? They did a survey of all the children's book characters in history. Winnie the Pooh, number one, the most beloved of all. So Wow. Now, could, uh, if you show these pictures and read these stories to a four-year-old? Sure, I think so. They probably wouldn't be able to do the meditation. Um, that's probably more for seven or eight-year-olds. But even, even in a lot of preschools, they are having the kids just sit quietly. And you can say, notice what you're feeling. What do you feel? Uh, that you can give them something to touch and say, you know, feel this. Is it soft or rough? You know, is it heavy or light? Um, as, as long as they understand those terms, you can just do that. So you have to, you find your way. The stories were, are for all ages. The instructional parts, you have to decide for yourself, 
for the kids that you're working with. Um, traditionally, real meditation where you actually sit down and work with awareness of the breathing and posture and, and labeling and bringing back, traditionally, in, I was told by my teacher in Tibet, they didn't really start the kids till they were eight years old. But they would start doing mindfulness in action when they were five. Kids in Tibet were not disciplined in any way until they were five. And then at that point, they said, you are now a part of the family. You have jobs, you have responsibilities. And there's this um, transition. And then they were start starting to be taught to be mindful. But even with um, social emotional learning with preschoolers, they're finding that it's great and good to have a child take a pause and take a breath before acting out in any way. So they're working a lot with breathing with preschoolers. For emotional regulation. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That is uh, ER, emotional regulation is kind of the latest thing. Yeah. Thank you, that's great. Uh, the, um, the next one is how does mindfulness play out in something uh, that is directed toward the future, like planning of an event, a project, or a trip. Ah, okay. So that's very good. If you know that that's what you're doing, then you're making your plans with awareness, with present awareness. I know that I am, I know that I'm looking at my calendar. I know that I am looking at May 28th. Oh, I remember May 28th, I'm going to be traveling. I should look into getting a plane ticket. Okay. And I'm going to write down getting a plane ticket. You know, when I go on this trip, you know, it's going to be so great. And I think that I'm going to, and, and then you're off in a fantasy. And when you're off in the fantasy, your mind is in the future. That, that, and if you're, if you're sitting and meditating, you're sitting and meditating, you're not writing things down and planning the future. The thought may come, oh, um, when I get up, I think I need to uh, get an airplane ticket. And then you let it go. That's not so easy sometimes. You go, oh, I, I, don't, I gotta remember, I gotta remember. And, uh, but if you're sitting there, you go, okay, yep, I know. Oh, I, I'll get my airplane ticket, no problem. And then you start thinking about the trip and you're not with your breath and your, and, and your posture. That's the moment when, when you wake up from that visit to the future, that's when you go, ah, that was thinking or wandering back to what I was intending to pay attention to. See, it's all about your intention, your intention for your attention. So mindfulness basically means aware, as you wrote, very good, aware of what you're doing and what's going on in your mind while you're doing it. That's correct. Let's see if we have any more. Uh, this is uh, shared in the chat, a good rule. A child can st sit still one minute per age, per the years of age, <laughs> three minutes for a three-year-old and so on. Ooh, I should be able to sit for a long time. That's <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> okay. 
How are we doing? So that, that's been about an hour. Um, should we do one more chapter? What do you think? Do I see thumbs up or? All right, one more chapter. We're gonna do one more chapter. And this is, oh, this is perfect. This is body and mind. A combination of energetic movement and mindfulness practice helps to cultivate well-being by synchronizing body and mind. Activate the flow of energy throughout your body, settle your mind and rest your attention on your breathing. As he stepped outside, Pooh felt the soft, moist moss under his feet. He smelled the rich sweetness of the honeysuckle, his favorite flower, of course, on the climbing vines curling around the tree. Licking his lips, he lapped up a mist drop of luscious honey. He heard the birds singing and the wind whistling. Or were the birds whistling and the wind singing? Pooh noticed that he could see the forest for the trees, no matter what anyone says. Here were the trees, bushes, hills, dales, creeks, and ponds that made up the hundred acre wood. Now it was time for his daily exercises. Pooh raised his chubby little arms high up in the air, or at least as high as they would go. He could feel the pull along his arms and shoulders and sides. Then he bent over to touch his toes, or at least as far as he could reach down to them. He could feel the stretch in the back of his legs. He did each movement exactly seven times, not six, since that wouldn't be enough, nor eight, since he could only count to seven. Then he walked slowly and mindfully to the big log in front of his house, his not thinking spot. Who settled his bottom onto the log at a smooth curvy place that fit just right. He sat up straight so he could take nice full breaths. Who drew the air into his nose. It was cool and dry and it filled him up. Upon breathing out, it felt warm and moist. The rhythm of his breath, filling and then emptying, lulled him into a comfortable calm. Pooh could feel his tummy get bigger and smaller as he breathed in and out. He let his mind rest there, feeling the weight of his body as if he were sinking into the log. Deeply grounded and firmly centered in his not thinking spot, Pooh felt at peace. Pooh brought to mind one of his favorite sayings. The past is history, the future's a mystery. Being here and now is a precious gift. That's why they call it the present. This helped him to stay in the here and now more of the time. And it helped Pooh to notice more quickly when he wandered into the past or future so he could come back to the present. Now Pooh was ready to start his practice of counting breaths to help him be better at paying attention and alerting him to when he was not. He counted in and out one, in and out two, in and out three, and so on. Since Pooh couldn't count past seven, whenever he got there, besides being quite proud that he did, he simply started over again. Every now and then he'd get whisked away into a parade of thoughts. When he realized he'd been daydreaming, he didn't get upset. He just noticed he had wandered into the past or future and matter-of-factly thought, Father, got a bit muddled there. 
and return to awareness of his breathing in the here and now. After appreciating his environment, doing exercises, and practicing mindfulness of breathing, Pooh knew that his body and mind were as ready as they could be for whatever adventures the day might bring. So we, uh, um, we talked about counting the breaths, uh, and there are a variety of techniques for that. But I, 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 we use the word parade. He got whisked away into a parade of thoughts. And this is uh, a metaphor that someone, a friend of mine shared with me. He said, mindfulness includes watching the parade, the parade of thoughts. When you find yourself in the parade, that's when you know that your mind has wandered and you come back to the sidelines and watch again. So um, now we go to the instructional parts. This is from John Kabat-Zinn, wherever you go, there you are. Stop, sit down and become aware of your breathing. Let go into full acceptance of the present moment. Don't try to change anything at all. Just breathe and let go. In your mind and in your heart, give yourself permission to allow this moment to be exactly as it is and allow yourself to be exactly as you are. Plan a set amount of time for each part of your session. Start with shorter periods and make them longer as you become more accustomed to the practices. It's helpful to set a timer so you don't need to look at a clock to, che to check the time. And uh, Andrew and, and I have talked a lot about uh, short sessions. Even if you do a longer session of practice, don't try to grind it out. Do it for a little while and then shake it off and take a fresh start. Energetic movement. To start your practice session, it's good to do some stretching and movement, not too extreme, like gentle yoga, tai chi, or other similar disciplines. Moves, you can softly move in ways that activate the flow from your core throughout your body. Make gentle circles with your hips, shoulders, and arms, then do the same with each leg, knee, and foot. Please be careful. You want to feel the stretch, but be sure to know your edge, the point where you need to pull back a bit. Don't hurt yourself. While engaging in your body work, do your best to maintain mindfulness of how you're moving and the sensations you're feeling, as well as your breathing. For mindfulness of body, sit upright but not rigid. Gently close your eyes and let any tension other than what you need to hold your posture flow down and out of your body. And you can do this a little bit while I'm reading these if you'd like. Let your awareness drop gently into the deep core of your torso, like a leaf settling slowly down to the bottom of a clear pond. Feel how your breathing slows and deepens. As each breath goes out, imagine that you feel more and more like you are merging with the earth. That's as grounded as you can be. Gently open your eyes, looking slightly downward without tilting your head forward. Focus your attention on your posture and the sensations of your breathing. Feel that your torso is filling with air as you breathe in and then emptying as you breathe out. When you realize that your mind has drifted into a series of thoughts like a daydream, just acknowledge it and return your attention to your posture and breathing without judging or criticizing yourself for becoming distracted. To help you maintain focus, you can also count your breaths. A traditional practice is to mentally count at the end of each out breath 
in and out one, in and out two, in and out three, and so on. As Pooh did, you can count to seven and then begin again at one. As you progress in your practice, try counting to a higher number. To sharpen your attention further, you can count backwards. Another version of the counting practice includes labeling. Uh, this, is, this is taught a lot by Thich Nhat Hanh. With each breath, you think in one, out here, in two, out now, in three, out here, in four, out now, and so on. Again, for any of these methods, if you drift into a daydream and lose track of your count, just start over. Conclude each session of mindfulness practice with an aspiration. In your own words, affirm that you will be as mindful as possible throughout the rest of the day or evening. You can also aspire that your practice will benefit both yourself and others, which leads you to the kindest practice presented in the next chapter. And that's the chapter that we'll do next week. Now let's see if we have any other questions. And I, have, I do want to read that poem at the end of our session because I love doing it so much. This book sounds very good and positive so far. Do you have an age which I think we did that, the age range uh, recommending it. Um, let's see. No, I think we don't have any more questions. Let's wait for a moment in case someone has another one. We'll do our waiting meditation. You can count like Pooh did if you want. I'm hearing the sounds that I have playing on my TV. It's a, a YouTube of uh, Tibetan singing bowls, the different gongs. It's very beautiful and soothing. Well, um, I am going to read the poem now. So the fun thing with this is we're going to go through the poem right out of the book and see all the illustrations. So I'm going to share the screen and you can read along with me here. Is that up as a shared screen? Okay. Teddy bear. A bear, however hard he tries, grows tubby without exercise. Our teddy bear is short and fat, which is not to be wondered at. He gets what exercise he can by falling off the ottoman, but generally seems to lack the energy to clamber back. Now, tubbiness is just the thing which gets a fellow wondering, and Teddy worried lots about the fact that he was rather stout. He thought, if only I were thin, but how does one begin? He thought, it, isn't re it really isn't fair to grudge me exercise and air. For many weeks, he pressed in vain his nose against the window pane and envied those who walked about reducing their unwanted stout. None of the people he could see is quite, he said, as fat as me. Then with a still more moving sigh, I mean, he said, as fat as I. 
Now Teddy, as was only right, slept in the ottoman at night, and with him crowded in as well, more animals than I can tell. Not only these, but books and things, such as a kind relation brings. Old tales of once upon a time and history retold in rhyme. One night it happened that he took a peep at an old picture book, wherein he came across by chance the picture of a king of France, a stoutish man, and down below these words, King Louis so-and-so, nicknamed the handsome. There he sat, and think of it, the man was fat. Our bear rejoiced like anything to read about this famous king, nicknamed the handsome. There he sat, and certainly the man was fat, nicknamed the handsome. Not a doubt, the man was definitely stout. Why then a bear, for all his tub, might yet be named the handsome cub. Might yet be named, or did he mean that years ago he might have been? For now he felt a slight misgiving. Is Louis so-and-so still living? Fashions in beauty have a way of altering from day to day. Is handsome Louis with us yet? Unfortunately, I forget. Next morning, nose to window pane, the doubt occurred to him again. One question hammered in his head, is he alive or is he dead? Thus nose to pane he pondered, but the lattice window loosely shut, swung open with one startled, oh, our teddy bear, our Teddy disappeared below. There happened to be passing by a plump man with a twinkling eye, who, seeing Teddy in the street, raised him politely to his feet and murmured kindly in his ear soft words of comfort and of cheer. Well, well, allow me, not at all. Tut, tut, a very nasty fall. Our Teddy answered not a word. It's doubtful if he even heard. Our bear could only look and look. The stout man in the picture book. That handsome king, could this be he? This man of adiposity? Impossible, he thought. But still, no harm in asking. Yes, I will. Are you, he said, by any chance, his majesty, the king of France? The other answered, I am that, bowed stiffly and removed his hat, then said, excuse me with an air, but is it Mr. Edward Bear? And Teddy, bending very low, replied politely, even so. They stood beneath the window there, the king and Mr. Edward Bear, and handsome, if a trifle fat, talked carelessly of this and that. Then his majesty, then said his majesty, well, well, I must get on, and rang the bell. Your bear, I think, he smiled, good day, and turned and went upon his way. A bear, however hard he tries, grows tubby with that exercise. Our teddy bear is short and fat, which is not to be wondered at, but do you think it worries him to know that he is far from slim? No, just the other way about, he's proud, of being short and stout. <laughs> so 
thank you so much for um, joining us in this class. Uh, we are thrilled to have you and thrilled to be able to share what we've done. Nan? Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate it. Thank you. See, she even rhymes with what I've done. Thank you for you, everyone. <laughs> Just can't help it. And thank you, Andrew, for hosting us. Thank you. Next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Nancy. Wonderful. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll stay on. And uh, if you want to say anything in the chat before you go, we'll stay in and, uh, wa and watch it with you. <laughs>